Hello and welcome to Pablo's channel, where Paul just narrates books of his liking. And if you like the book, great. If not, go to the next, um, you know, reading. If, you know, whatever. Whatever. Anyway, yes. Um, I'm just going to do my usual video diary. The te today is the 1st of August, 1999, 2021. I'm in the uh, dining room area. <clears throat> um, and it's 20 to 12 uh, in the morning. Or 11.40am. And... Um, I we had a I had a great uh, we had a great time yesterday um, on 31st of July 2021. We had a game of foot golf, and I'm quite impressed myself because I organised it and not only organised it but I won won it as well. So yeah, it went well. And then we had a lovely so we had yeah a good game. Then we went to the, a pub in uh, called the Cross House. In Formby, had a pint there and some, some had uh, food there. And then after that, we went to town and went to the uh, bars down in Concert Square. And we stayed there because so it gets so packed in Liverpool of a, of a Saturday night, doesn't it? Um, so when you get a seat, it's uh, like gold dust, isn't it? You've got to just keep it. So we ended up staying there because of it. But yeah, it was nice. Do so, you know we drank? Uh, I was I was drinking gin. Um, gym and lemonade, and what else? What was that? Was it pill? I forget now. I had a beer as well, um, which is unlike me. But you know, <clears throat> a special occasion. And it was just great seeing everyone from work, out of work together. So yeah, and maybe we'll we'll have to do it again. We're talking about doing go karting in the near future. Everyone seems to be interested in that, so I'll look into setting that one up as well. Anyway, um, right, so the reason why I'm recording myself today is, as you know, we just finished a, a whole book uh, previously, um, which was looking into the UFO phenomena. <laughs> now um, we're going to go into something back to historic stuff, very close to home. Um, it's all about New Brighton. Says New Brighton, a Victorian seaside resort by someone called Tony Franks Buckley. Only just purchased this online, but yeah, um, I've had a little gander of it. And when I was reading that, I thought, no, this I need to record this. Well, I didn't say need, I just felt I wanted to record it onto the podcast for whoever in the future may want to enjoy it. The only thing I do know is that I enjoy it. But, yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah. So, let me just read, uh, the, you know, the, the cover um, and the introductions. And, you know, as usual, go through, go through the chapters throughout, uh, you know, making different episodes. But we'll see how we go. Okay, so, <clears throat> it says on the back here, it's got a picture, I think, of... Um, Tony Franks Buckley. He uh, looks quite youngish. Well, when I say youngish, you know, not my age or a bit older, maybe. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. 
Here at the back it says, During the Victorian era, the British seaside became a popular destination for the working class citizens of Britain. At over 300 pages of information and pictures, this book captures just how popular the area of New Brighton became during the Victorian times. Not only was <clears throat> New Brighton popular during the 19th century, but it was formerly a haunt for pirates and smugglers, most famous, famously with Mother Redcaps Inn. Lost treasure still remains underneath New Brighton. I'll have to dig a hole at some point, won't I? <laughs> In smugglers' tunnels that run to all corners of Wallasey. New Brighton was a front runner in many departments. It once housed the tallest tower in Britain. It still has the longest promenade in Britain and even had a football team playing in the top flight of football. Following the mass population growth that occurred during the British Industrial Revolution, seaside resorts became a popular destination for the working class citizens of Britain. Separated by the River Mersey, Liverpool was the neighbouring city that looked across at the borough of Wallasey and became a weekend retreat for many of the fun seekers that resided in the industrial region of Liverpool. The book introduces the reader to the creation of a seaside resort from start to finish. Following the devastating fire in 1969, New Brighton, which was the most popular seaside resort in the northwest, slowly disappeared into a ghost town during the latter half of the 20th century. However, new investment in the 21st century has encouraged visitors to return again to a once popular Victorian seaside resort. There you go. So that's what we're going to see. Feel what the book's about. So yeah, this is uh, very local to my heart, this, because I live in New Brighton, and um, you know, it's 300 pages long of, you know, focusing on New Brighton. So uh, after this journey, I will have, I will be very conscious of uh, my area, which is nice, isn't it? Anyway, so, yeah, let's have a look. So, deliver. So we've got here, New Brighton, the Victorian Seaside, a picture here of three ladies on a donkey with a guy there guiding them with the tower behind. Just looks like Blackpool Tower, really, you know? I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? Blackpool Tower and uh, New Brighton Tower. But, yeah. Um... And this says dedication. This book is dedicated to all my friends and family who have supported me through my life and have and helped me achieve the goals that I have reached. They also dedicate it to my loved ones who are gone but not forgotten. That's Joyce Dennett, Norman Spearing, Derek Franks, and Mabel Buckley. Acknowledgements. I would like to thank my family who have sort of supported me through tough times and good times, especially my mum and my best friend, Uncle John. I would also like to thank those who have educated me and allowed me to become the person that I am today. And last but not least, I would like to thank Gavin Chappell, whose previous work on pirates in the area has helped me considerably. I may get that book, you know, really focus on the <laughs> smugglers. Yeah. 
and what they called the records, the records and smugglers and wallsy. Okay, and we've got a bit of history, bit of information about the author. Wallace, historian and author that completed a BA honours degree in modern history at Liverpool John Moores University under the guidance of fellow author Professor Frank McDuno. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. There's, someone in my, there's a lady in our work with the surname at home. McDuno. So that's MC, little c. D-O-N-O-U-G-H and Dr. Mike Bender Jackson and a host of others. Main interests in history are from the Industrial Revolution era in Britain, which was the beginning of the modern day Britain as we know it today. Rosa holds a key interest in World War II due to the learning from Uncle, who served in the Royal Navy and was involved in the D-Day landings. As well as graduating from university, Pusley attended Wirral Metropolitan College in Birkenhead and gained an A-level results through an access to higher education diploma in English literature, history and environmental studies, which allowed advancement to university. Other books and research papers. The History of Wallasey, a, sub, a small suburb with a large history. The History of Birkenhead and Bidston. Liverpool during the Industrial Revolution, 1700s to 1850. To what extent did the, the EU unite Europe by the end of the 20th century? With the Great British Reform Act of 1832 truly great, how effective were poor law reforms and philanthropy in reducing the causes of poverty in Britain during the 19th century? Was there an American Indian Holocaust from English migration to America? How effective was Nazi propaganda? To what extent did Britain experience an agricultural revolution between 1750 and 1830? Globalisation in the modern world. So find me on Twitter at Tony FR Buckley. I might just do that. And my blog site, uh, HTTP, semicolon, double, uh, two forward slashes, Tony Franks Buckley dot blogspot dot co dot UK. So, um, I'm just sorry. I'm just looking at where I should read up to. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll read up to the uh, food introduction, and then yeah, that'll be this chapter. I think. Okay. So, first question was, what was special about the British seaside? We've got a picture here. Miles of animation at. Uh, New Brighton it says most of our ideas of the British and especially the English and Welsh seaside resorts are all the stronger for, for having our own Victorian roots for it was the working class movement during the time of Queen Victoria's reign that created the need to have an area for leisurely entertainment the seaside became a popular destination for many not only the upper class but the middle and lower as well. The larger Victorian resorts such as New Brighton, Blackpool and Brighton catered for the rapidly expanding working class holiday market of the late 19th century. Most obviously New Brighton and Blackpool offered pleasure palaces. They combined music hall, 
variety and dancing with a broader menu which might include zoos, opera houses, theatres, aquariums, lagoons with Venetian gondolas and gondoliers, uh, pleasure gardens and what, what exhibitions. This kind of provision reached its apotheosis in Blackpool's Tower and Winter Gardens and an even more ambitious tower at New Brighton. A financial failure which was demolished soon after the First World War. See picture below. There's a picture of New Brighton Tower uh, getting, starting to get dismantled. The top bit's taken off, basically. Such a large-scale commercial entertainment hardly paid satisfactory profits, even in their heyday, outside of New Brighton and Blackpool. They, along with the Victorian seaside hotels, such as Wellington Road in New Brighton, for instance, were particularly vulnerable to changes in popular taste and in the economics of the entertainment industry from the 1950s onwards. But they have their own contribution to make to the nostalgic appreciation of the Victorian seaside. In this case, as somewhere popular. Somewhere where... Those who worked hard came to play even harder during their brief period of release and spent their hard-earned sixpences on pioneering versions of what is known as mass entertainment. These different versions of seaside nostalgia remind us that there were and still are many versions of the British seaside. Little informal villages where fishing and farming predominated and visitors entertained themselves and each other up to big purpose-built holiday towns with the full inclusion of commercial entertainment and huge crowds of visitors who needed policing as well as pleasing, whose presence had to be supported by comprehensive and expensive local government systems providing whatever private enterprise could not, would not, or Victorians thought, should not provide a, a profit. From drains and gas works to tramways, promenades and even orchestras. The celebrations of seaside innocence have to reckon with not only the weather and the ever-present scope for discord within families, but also with the problems that arose when visitors with clashing values and expectations about what constituted legitimate holiday fun came into close and sometimes abrasive holiday proximity. The seaside as relaxing Informal escape from the pressures of the daily grind might also be compromised by the demands of the promenade, of fashion, personal display, flirtation and consumption, at least in the larger resorts. Victorian holidaymakers were thoroughly modern in their recognition and sometimes the enjoyment of such imperatives. They did not have to reckon with the problems of bodily exposure and the conflict between fashion and morality that sunbathing was to bring in the new century as they sheltered beneath their parasols to protect their milky complexions. But bathing and its regulation through the attempted imposition and widespread evasion of the regime of separating the sexes and charging for the use of the horse-drawn wooden bathing machine with its protective modesty hood, provided quite enough controversy in its absence. 
to add extra spice to this mixture, the Victorian years saw the first widespread large-scale expansion of English and Welsh seaside resorts, and growing pains often exacerbated social and cultural conflict, especially as the market for holidays broadened to include significant numbers, first of clerks and shopkeepers, then the industrial working class. The seaside resort was an 18th century inventor puts, puts. Never knew, couldn't work that one out, let's try to look into that. Inventi puts, that's a I-N-V-E-N-T-I-P-U-T-S. As orthodox medicine put, a scientific then costume popular sea bathing customs and marketed the result as a supplement or increasingly alternative to taking the cure at a spa, while new romantic ways of perceiving shoreline made them attractive where hitherto they had repelled. Running parallel with the revolution in taste that drew the fashionable and cultivated to the land to the Lake District and the Alps. Brighton Five could already count 40,000 inhabitants, most of them permanently, at the June census of 1841, but growth on the grand scale began with the railway age, as the railways boosted existing small settlements. They very rarely started new resorts from scratch by making access cheaper in time and money. The main beneficiaries around mid-century were middle-class families, from the substantial to the struggling. Despite the relative, relative enormity of resort settings, especially in southern England, allowed young bachelors in mundane employment to reinvent themselves and go on the spree for a fortnight. Over most of the country, working-class visitors relied on cheap excursions, organised by Sunday schools, employers, temperance societies or commercial promoters, among whom Thomas Cook was as unimportant as were the penny-a-mile parliamentary trains under the Act of 1844, which charged more and took longer than the cheap, cheap uh, trips. Here are myths that need the spelling. Only from the 1870s onward, onwards did the Lancashire cotton workers take the lead in developing a genuine working class seaside holiday system, saving through the year to convert the traditional wakes holidays, unpaid for most until after the Second World War, into seaside breaks and changing the character of many northern resorts in the process. Londoners, like, for example, Sheffield folk and coal mines depended more on St. Monday, that enduring but an unofficial extension of the weekend. They also used August Bank Holiday, St. Lubbock's Day, after its inventor in 1871, as it became a popular holiday from the mid-1870s. But the importance of this has also been greatly inflated, and it was irrelevant in most of the North and Midlands. But by the last quarter of the 19th century, many of the more accessible resorts were having to cope with the novelty of a working class presence, growing dimensions and spending power. Especially young people who <coughs> with wages and few responsibilities. And older men who lacked family commitments or chose to cast them aside. Here was a recipe for potential strife and the popular media of the time, from Punch to Ali Sloper's Half Holiday 
added jokes about cultural uh, conflict between the classes to their older staples about clerks and shop assistants pretending to be gentlemen, adding a new dimension to the comedy of social embarrassment. The sheer variety of resort environments, which itself contributed to the ubiquitous popularity of the seaside by offering all things to all the people. It was also clearly understood by the humorists. They depicted Brighton as a carnival of strange juxtapositions between fashionable high society and its imitators and an exotic medley of cockney trippers and vulgar assertive stall holders and alfresco uh, entertainers. The mainstream family resorts with their importunate minstrels and sly fishermen offered gentle comedies combining displacement, routine, discomfort and boredom, while the little fishing villages that catered for the alternative fashion for the picturesque, untidy and informal were theatres of misunderstanding between the patronising and the patronised, with the latter usually having fun at the expense of the former. The spice was added by the visitor's painful awareness that nothing was as innocent as it might seem, as landladies and boatmen strove to extract the last penny from their summer bonanza by bending and stretching their rules of engagement. All these perceptions reflected the luminal nature of the seaside as a gateway between land and sea, culture and nature, civilised constraint and liberated hedonism. The spirit of carnival bubbled close to the surface, threatening and promising to turn the world upside down as the holiday atmosphere stimulated the latent fun, laughter and suspension of inhibitions that Dickens celebrated in his readers. These influences fought against the internal drives towards stage respectability and fear of embarrassment that were also so strong in Victorian culture, especially among the lower middle classes. Local authorities, drawing the line in different places according to their perceptions of their markets, had to pay heed to drive for the control and suppression of levity that tended to carry greater political clout. Respectability was as contentious a fault line as the class in the conflicts that cut across the enjoyment and tranquillity of the Victorian seaside. It was all the more sharply contested because its definitions were uncertain at the core as well as the edges. Alongside bathing regulation, Sunday observance was a particular touchstone. In these respects, as in many others, escape to the seaside brought with it the conflicts and uneasiness about morality and identity which were so pervasive in Victorian life for the rest of the year. So we have, so we'll just go through the contents, and that was, um, that was like a little nice little uh, uh, quick summary of observing, yeah, this British seaside resort. Um, okay, so yeah, here's the contents. So we've got the introduction, which I'll read, and then we've got the early years. And then New Brighton begins, transport, housing, and then theatre and cinema, and 
major newspaper articles, popularity, shopping, public houses, sport and leisure or leisure, disasters and regeneration. So, yeah. Introduction. Here we go. New Brighton is a British seaside resort forming part of the town of Wallasey in the metropolitan borough of Wirral in the metropolitan county of Merseyside, England. It is located at the northeastern tip of the Wirral Peninsula within the historic county boundaries of Cheshire and has sandy beaches which line the Irish Sea. At the 2001 census, the population of the electoral ward of New Brighton stood at 14,450, and that is uh, 6,869 males and 7,581 females. And that's from the Office of National Statistics. Up to the 19th century, the area had a reputation for smuggling and wrecking. The dark side. <laughs> um, and secret underground cellars and tunnels are still rumoured to exist. It also had a strategic position at the entrance to the Mersey Estuary. I mean, I was just thinking about that, calling it the dark side. I mean, they were smuggling, you know, these guys, these uh, people. I mean, I don't really know the situation, but. Um, I mean, it's not good to be a, a thief, is it, or to rob and do all that, but, you know, you can see why it happens, that's the point, that's what I'm saying. Hmm. Anyway, and then, the Perch Rock Battery was completed in 1829. It mounted 18 guns, mostly 32-pounders, with three... Six-inch guns installed in 1899. Originally cut off, originally cut off at high tide, coastal reclamation has since made it fully accessible. In 1830, Liverpool merchant James Atherton purchased much of the land at Rock Point, which enjoyed views out to sea and across the Mersey, and had a good beach. His aim was to develop it as a desirable residential and watering place for the gentry, in a similar way to Brighton, one of the most elegant seaside resorts of that Regency period, hence New Brighton. Substantial development began soon afterwards, and housing began to spread up the hillside overlooking the estuary. And I'm, one of, I'm in one of those houses overlooking the estuary. I can see the Malford Estuary, and it is a splendid view. <laughs> a form and then a former gunpowder magazine being closed down in 1851. During the latter half of the 19th century, New Brighton developed as a very popular seaside resort, serving Liverpool and the Lancashire industrial towns, and many of the large houses were converted to inexpensive hotels. A pier was opened in the 1860s and the promenade from Seacombe to New Brighton was built in the 1890s. This served both as a recreational amenity in its own right, and to link up the developments along the estuary 
and was later extended westwards towards Liesau. The new Brighton Tower, the tallest in the country, was opened in 1900 but closed in 1919, largely due to a lack of maintenance during World War I. Dismantling of the tower was complete by 1921. So they don't really have much of a lifespan, do they? 20 years, about, yeah. After World War II, the popularity of New Brighton as a seaside resort declined dramatically. However, the Tower Ballroom continued as a major venue, hosting numerous concerts in the 1950s and 1960s by local Liverpool groups such as the Beatles, as well as other international stars. The Tower Ballroom continued in use until it was destroyed by a fire in 1969. Ferries across the Mersey to New Brighton seized in 1971, after which the ferry pier and landing stage were dismantled. By 1977, the promenade pier had suffered the same fate, the area became the subject of Martin Parr's famous and controversial photographic book, The Last Resort. The town was also the birthplace of writer Malcolm Lowry. New Brighton is part of the Wallasey Parliamentary constituency and represented by Angela Eagle, MP of the Labour Party, who retained her seat in the 2010 general election. New Brighton is an electoral ward of the Metropolitan Borough of Will, which is itself a district of the Metropolitan County of Merseyside. Elections for Wivell Council took place on the 6th of May 2010. Patricia Glassman, that's with one S, Labour, 3,072 votes. Bill Duffy, Conservative, 2,173. Julia Codling, LD, Liberal Democrats, 1,166. Cynthia Stonall, Green Party, 342. Timothy Pass, UKIP, 222. Electorate, 11,025. Turnout, 63.6%. Majority, 899. New Brighton has a wide range of visitor attractions and facilities. These focus on the 60 million Marine Point leisure and retail development uh, completed in 2011. Uh, this includes the light uh, eight uh, sorry this includes the light eight screen digital multiplex cinema. I'm still yet to check that out. A travel lodge hotel, a range of cafe bars and restaurants, a G casino a Morrison supermarket, and a sailing school using the refurbished Marine Lake. Other attractions include the Riverside Bowl Bowling Alley, the Laser Quest Centre, the Art Deco New Palace Amusement Arcade, which includes a small fairground, and the Floral Pavilion Theatre, which was rebuilt in 2008 as, the as a first phase of the town's regeneration and accommodates a conference centre. Significant investment has also been made in the public realm, with particular highlights being a model boating lake and the promenade. The four mile long, six kilometres North Wirral <coughs> Coastal Park is situated between New Brighton and 
Mel's. The Wirral Show, a free-to-enter annual event, was held on the open ground of the King's Parade in New Brighton. In 2009, it was announced that after 33 years, the Wirral Show was to be axed. There is a minor club scene in the town, with RJ's and the Players' Lounge, both now closed, replaced by eye candy and soon to be a Lloyd's Bar on the seafront and the Tavern further inland. The pop concert, New Brighton Rock, was held over two days, 21st and 22nd of May 1984, at the town's open-air swimming pool and transmitted by Granada Television on the 23rd of June 1984 on ITV. It featured many musical artists of the day, including Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Gloria Gaynor, <coughs> Madness, Nick Kershaw and Spandau Ballet. Valley. A strain was placed on local police resources due to an ongoing commitment to the 1984-85 minor strike. Nevertheless, the event was covered by Merseyside Police's Wirral Division. A song about New Brighton called New Brighton was included on the 1992 album song by Liverpool based group's group It's Immaterial. Immaterial. In 1996, Walsy Brit pop band The Boo Radleys released the Come On Kids album. Track 9 on the album was an atmospheric and nostalgic song called The New Brighton Promenade. New Brighton is briefly mentioned in the song Radio America by the Libertines, and there is also a song New Brighton by Pete Doherty. The bandstand, situated in Vale Park, is a popular outdoor music venue, hosting a variety of acts, typically an orchestra or choir every Sunday. In more recent times, the bandstand has hosted music to a much younger generation and popular throughout the summer. It has been an ideal platform for local bands wanting to gain recognition. There's a pitch here of Vale Park showing new bandstand in New Brighton. With uh, a lot of benches outside, with a lot of people obviously looking at there. And then there's a New Brighton Tower FC Football Club, was an association football league club based in New Brighton that folded in 1901. Like Liverpool, Chelsea, and Thames, New Brighton Tower was formed to play at an already built stadium. The Tower Athletic Grounds with a massive capacity of 80,000. The owners of the New Brighton Tower, a seaside attraction built to rival the Blackpool Tower, decided there was a need to provide winter entertainment and had built a stadium adjacent to the tower. The football club was formed in 1896 to provide the entertainment and joined the Lancashire League at the start of the 1897-98 season. After finishing as champions in their first season, the club was elected to the second division of the Football League, when the league was expanded by four clubs. The team was very poorly supported, often averaging, ga often averaging gates of 1,000. The club signed a number of new players, including some who had played international football and was reasonably successful, 
finishing fifth out of 18 in its first season and fourth in their third season. However, the cost of maintaining a professional football club became too high for the tower's owners and the club was disbanded in the summer of 1901 and replaced in the league by Doncaster Rovers. In 1921, a new club was formed, New Brighton AFC, who would also play in the Liverpool League. It would play, not Liverpool League. Will also play in the Football League from 1923 until 1951. New Brighton is one of the smallest settlements ever to have a football league club, although it was in close proximity to the much larg- larger Liverpool. So there you go. So I will stop there and um, continue uh, through the chapters. Just look at that, actually. They don't seem that long, the chapters. So I might, you know, do two chapters and one, if you know what I mean. Anyway, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. And um, I hope you join me as we journey deeply into New Brighton. A Victorian seaside resort.